Oh, yes. We uh, really have something amazing here today in our text that is uh, an ultimate explanation of all this. It's um, something I think is one of the most remarkable things in, in the whole of the Bible. The very center of God's purpose, His plan, His eternal purpose, all through the centuries we know through uh, biblical accounts that it was Israel, Israel, Israel. Everything was God's people, Israel. And the Gentiles were outside the kingdom. And then, because of their stubborn disobedience and rejecting God, God turned to the Gentiles. And so now for 2,000 years, we've gone Gentiles, 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 and the Jews are outside. And that message there sticks with you because, uh, of course, we see it all throughout, I think, the prophets, although it seems to be hidden, but Paul really brings out the truth in this. And God's purpose is that I guess you could say the only explanation of it is is found in in our Romans uh, 11 in in the sense that uh, he says God has shut up all in disobedience so that He may show mercy to the all. He shuts up all in disobedience. All of mankind are sinners. And then He saves them by their mercy. And that's the explanation. He shuts them up in unbelief in order that He might show or put on display His mercy. That's what He wants to do because if He can't do that, we would never know that He be a merciful God. And uh, so that's one we'll uh, tie this all up with. We are in really a, a continued study of Romans 11. We are coming to the uh, end of it, uh, although today really kind of wraps it up, but yet you have what really wraps up everything, 9, 10, and 11, that section. Also chapter 11, but that whole body of uh, Romans 1 through 11 is wrapped up all together with the very glory of God being shown. It's called the doxology in the last few verses of Romans 33-36. through 36. Lord willing, that's where we'll be at next week as we continue on. God has taken Israel out, put the Gentiles in, the, the Jews then will be grafted into that tree which would be a natural grafting, and this is God's sovereign purpose. This wasn't by accident. It wasn't that as we went through a few thousand years, God said, oh no, I've got to change this up. Israel has sinned and come in unbelief. Uh, what am I going to do now? I had all these promises to them. I'll go to the Gentiles. Which He did, but He also will go back in the future to the Jews for His sovereign purpose coming all together. Nobody deserves mercy, and we know that we deserve all the wrath of God that we could get, but God does not give His people what they deserve, which is wrath. And that is where mercy comes in. He's not giving us what we deserve. That's the idea of mercy. As He takes pity upon 
His people. And for eternity, it's not based on anything within us. It's always God. And it starts with mercy as He looks upon the sinners. Mercy is the key word for the day. Uh, that should be pretty easy to figure out since I've already hammered on that and uh, we will not uh, stop with it. We will continue on with this word today. I don't know how many times I'm going to say this word, but I will tell you that mercy is the glory of God. Mercy is the glory of God. It's wondrous when we are reminded of it. We often forget about the mercy of God. We sing a song about it. His mercy is more... It's more than our sin. His, his mercy, His faithfulness is greater than all our sin, is it not? And we know that grace is something that is undeserved. Unmerited favor. Uh, you can't work for it. can't do anything for it. You can't do anything about it. It's it, because we don't deserve it. Now that's grace. And we get what we don't deserve, right? We have gotten, we've received grace, we didn't deserve it. It's unmerited, right? The flip side of that is that mercy says we don't get what we do deserve. Do we get that? That's how you can differentiate, but they're linked together. Mercy and grace, you can't divide them. But He first looks upon us in His pity to these wicked, evil sinners. And He takes pity on them. Going back to the time of Israel, Israel was not an Israel, was not a nation, and God chooses people coming from the loins of Abraham. And they are called Israel. God chose to do that. And He chose to reveal Himself through the Israelites. And to the rest of the world, the Jew was to take that message out. For the most part, it didn't happen. But actually it did in little bits and pieces, mainly through after the death of Christ and His resurrection, the apostles came to see that Jesus was truly God and that Jesus is the message, the resurrection, and all that that goes with that gospel. And it went to the Gentiles. So, they were people of disobedience and God's mercy came to the pagan Gentiles when they were not a people. And then the Israelites became not a people, but the Gentiles God chose elect out of, just like He chose the elect out of the Jews. But He's not done with that, even though it's been... Over 2,000 years now, it's been the times of the Gentiles. We've seen that in Scripture. The times of the Gentiles. And through that time, God has taken most of His elect out of the Gentiles. Some Jews have been elect too, but mostly out of the Gentiles. We're, we are amazed as we think about the future that God will turn back to Israel and will save them. What kind of mercy is that? That is a severe mercy that God would do that. It's astounding. God shows off His rich, amazing, abounding glory by His mercy. So, let's pick up our Bibles 
And uh, we are going to be in Romans 11, 30-32. Let's stand and read this wonderful message that God has given us on mercy. Actually, my title is Mercy, Mercy, but I should have done this. Mercy, 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 Mercy. Because it's here four times in three verses. I think there's something to be said about that. We need to learn more about mercy. I thought I knew everything there was to know about mercy. Not really. But I need to know more about mercy. And as I read through this and studied this week, I go, oh my, I don't know hardly anything about mercy. Here we go. Verse 30. After he says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable of what he's going to do with Israel, and that's what grace is, and that's what election is, and he'll take the worst. And he'll bring him in because of his promise. So here we are, verse 34. Just as you once were disobedient to God, you, you Gentiles, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, the Jews. So these also, the Jews, now have been disobedient in the present time that because of the mercy shown to you, you Gentiles, they also, the Jews, they now be shown mercy. Watch this. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that He may show mercy to all. Let's pray. Great God, You are merciful. Merciful You are. And Lord, for You to take pity upon creatures like us and then bring them into Your glory is astounding. And that's why we marvel at this great attribute of You, this mercy. And it's very much up front in our text today. May we get a more clear view of Your mercy than we've ever had in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, verse 30 is going to be... 30, 31, 32, actually, really. It's a summary of chapter 11. And he's used the example of the olive tree and then taking Israel out of the olive tree, the natural branch, and then taking the Gentiles, which is the unnatural branch, grafting them into the tree, and then... All Israel will be saved when the times of the Gentiles has been fulfilled and He will put them back in. Like I said last week, uh, this is very clear, very understandable, and I think we all have to agree that's exactly what it means. It is very simple to understand, and Paul has elaborated on it. For three chapters, people would ask, what about Israel? What about them? What, does, what has God got planned for them then after He's had these promises? And He's answered it all. And uh, with these verses today, He's done. That, that is it. He wraps it up. He says, for or because, just as you once were disobedient. That's what He's doing. And then we go into this grand, glorious doxology. One of the greatest passages in all of Romans and all of the Bible. And so uh, we get what would be, he's, he's been saying especially in Romans 11 in these two, three verses here. Uh, mercy, like I said, occurs four times. It's dominant. 
Disobedience occurs how many times? Four times. Just to be equal with the mercy. Mercy trumps disobedience. Always. Grace, mercy is greater than all our sin. We should be joyous over that. Uh, John Murray says this about this, and I've, uh, over the course of the past few weeks, have seen so many Reformed theologians that I I really uh, admire. And most of them do come to this conclusion that God does have a future plan. As John Murray says, a future plan for Israel. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that. James Montgomery Boyce. You go down through the Presbyterians and many, most of them say that yes, they may not agree when this is going to happen and that doesn't matter. The deal is, is that God is going to finish what He started with Israel. And they come to that point. Now earlier on in Reformed history, We don't see that with Luther, with Calvin, uh, many of the ones that were in Geneva. They didn't see a spot for uh, the Jews, and so therefore even uh, Luther himself condemned them. Uh, there are probably many statements that he made on that. Uh, there might we need to be forgiving to him because there were some things that he stated maybe later on that wouldn't have been the same. But the fact of the matter is, that was kind of the history of the very, very early Reformed theology. It dealt with future, it dealt with prophecy. They didn't feel like they really, really had a handle on it. I don't really believe they did. Uh, and so therefore, they would say, well, because of the cross, they missed it, and so God is now done with them, even though there will be Jews that are saved, and they couldn't deny that, because Paul was. But as a whole, in present day, Our theologians that have been around that we respect so highly said uh, there's a problem with that kind of thinking because biblically of Romans 9, 10, 11, they have to reverse what has been so much in Reformed theology before. And if they would go back to the early church fathers, they would see that they believed in a future Israel also. It's very dominant. I didn't know it was that dominant until my last study here in the last several weeks and and looking at this. And so uh, we stand on the shoulders of many of the greats. And uh, we are thankful because of that. We're not on our own saying this. Dennis is not coming up here beating on his hobby horse. It's just that it's biblical. How can we deny it? It's right in front of our face. We're challenged with that. And so enough of that said. We know that Israel was disobedient. God had to judge them. He is a holy God. He is a just God. And it would have done, um, I think, probably, it would have brought a, a jeopardy if he doesn't punish Israel in what they did. And of course he brought the Babylonians and he punished uh, the Jews and the Assyrians. He had done that with uh, the Israelites and the northern tribes. And then we know that 70 AD they were punished severely and spread out all over the world, really. Um, Mercy was given to the Gentiles then, and uh, he says here in verse 30, for just as you, as you Gentiles, uh, you get that, don't you? It's not too hard to understand. For just as you once were disobedient to God, you were once disobedient, and individually we were that way. We can still say, yes, we came from the Gentile realm because biblically either have Jews or Gentiles, or one or the other. 
We happen to be Gentiles. We were disobedient in our own lives. We know that uh, everybody uh, is really a, a sinner. Uh, we were disobedient and we received mercy, didn't we? Just as you once were disobedient to God. Look in Romans chapter 1. This is the same book we've been at. We started off with this many, many months ago. And one eighteen, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That can very well be the Jew. But as a whole, this is understood to be the, the rest of the world. It's the Gentiles. And you would see some of the things that they do that would kind of give you a clue that that's what it's talking about. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Everybody knows about the Creator God. Uh, an evolutionist. Or one who denies that God exists. You look at that and you see this right here. God not only is the Creator. I mean, you look up and you see what He's revealed in the heavens and such. It's evident, isn't it not? And so, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, both His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And people will say, well, what about those people? What about them? They're without excuse. That's just as simple as it is. This is what God says. Yeah, but they didn't get the Gospel. They are without excuse. Yeah, but nobody brought the Bible to them. They are without excuse. Every man is a sinner. And that's where mercy comes in. People that don't understand mercy will give those kind of questions. Christians will say that. And they'll say, surely God has another plan for those people. No, He doesn't. They have to believe in Jesus Christ as the sacrifice. We go on, verse 21. Even though they knew God, they did not glorify Him. That's the problem. They knew there was a God, but they don't glorify Him as God or give thanks. That's what we are to do. That's our biggest motive. That's what we do in this life. But they became futile, empty in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. So as it darkened, we see what happens. They professed to be wise. They became fools. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible men and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. It just got lower and lower and lower till they got to the crawling creatures. Therefore, what did God do? He gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So all throughout Gentile history, it was wickedness, it was evil. Yes, the Jews had the law, but many of them weren't really following the law, but they had this in their hearts, even though they, maybe they didn't do this in the flesh like the Gentiles did in mass sin. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to dishonorable passions. The Gentiles, how wicked were they? Well, their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. This is obvious. And in the same way also the males abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire toward one another. Males with males committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. 
that is what's going on now. You can say, you mean this happened before? Oh yeah, it's been going all throughout the history of mankind's uh, um, existence since sin. And this is what they've done. And, and of course you'll go to another empire, another generation, and, uh, and they start it all over again. And then all over again. That's what the Gentile history has done. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind, a depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the righteousness requirement of God, they know that God is right and He's true and what He requires. That's the ones who deny Him. They know what's right that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. We've read this many times. We studied it when we were in chapter 1. That's the Gentile. That's the realm that has gone throughout all of Gentile history, and it's still going that way. But, and we know that in this nation it's really been exposed in the, I'd say the last 60 years. It's been seen in a bigger way than it was before. But that is the natural man who turns the unnatural, or the natural into unnatural. And uh, so that's the way of mankind. Now, what God did after He rejects Israel, for a, and a partial hardening, as it's already said in, in uh, chapter 11, he turns to these people who live in such a godless way, very frightful. When we read that passage, you go, my, that sounds like today. Yeah. It sounds like yesteryear. That is mankind. That's who man is. In chapter 2, he goes on and tells the Jew that... You think you're better than them. You got the law. But in their hearts, they had all this. They might not have done the same things the Gentiles did in, the, in as many ways. But that's where the heart was in chapter 3. It shows that all are sinners. There's none righteous, right? We get that in chapter 3. So, with that idea, God looks upon these people that are blind, unbelieving, ignorant, disobedient towards God, don't give Him glory, and all of a sudden He looks upon them with pity. And out of that group, another group besides the Jews, He, he has already chosen, He's already elected who He's going to take out of there. He looks upon them with pity. If He would not have done that, He would not have saved anybody. It all starts with His pity upon us. His mercy is where it starts the Gentiles were outside the kingdom of God, but now they're inside because of God's mercy operating by means of unbelief of the Jews. That's how He decided to do it. To bring in mass salvation. And we see it right in Acts very early on. 
And we see it progress, and it's done it for 2,000 years. The church, even though it com and comparative to the world's population, is very small. But it's very, very huge as far as God is concerned in the right way because they give God glory. And so they revealed that. And uh, the unbelief of the Jews causes them to be outside the kingdom for right now. Look in Acts 13, verse 45 through 48. You have the whole assembly. And so on the Sabbath, and they're hearing the word of the Lord, and they're Gentiles that are coming to synagogue. They can't wait to hear this. But even, but when, verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. That's exactly what God wants to do with the Jews. Because He was once their God, and now they have dismissed Him, and so He goes to the Gentiles, and the Jews are filled with jealousy, and He began contradicting the things spoken by Paul blaspheming. Everything that Paul is saying, they are contradicting it. And they are disrupting the very message of the Gospel. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the Word of God be spoken to you first, you Jews. It's necessary. That's the way it was planned. Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. You know, they were unworthy. We saw that in Romans 1, right? They're just worthy of death. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. That's why it's been going since that time. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Look at this, verse 48. I love this verse. I always have this circled no matter what Bible I have. And I haven't had time to circle this one yet in this Bible, but I will. I love this one, folks. And when the Gentiles heard this, see, they were outside the kingdom, they began rejoicing like Christians do. That's what we do. We rejoice, don't we? And glorifying the Word of the Lord. That's what God does to His people. He gets them to glorify Him. And as many as had been appointed, circle it, use the yellow highlighter, underline it, put exclamation points, as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. At that moment, they heard the Gospel and the ones who were appointed to hear it at that time, boom, they're now Christians. They believed it. That's what happened to each and every one of you who know Jesus Christ. There was a perfect timing that He had to bring you into the kingdom of God. And something that He had planned before the ages. And you know what? You couldn't help but say yes. That's how God operates. You were appointed for that. That's what he did. So we're back into our Romans 11. And we see that verse 30, as we're in today, so these also now have been disobedient, these Jews, that because of the mercy shown to you, they, 
the Jews also may now be shown mercy. So these also now have been disobedient, the Jews, that because of the mercy shown to you, made them jealous, they may also now be shown mercy. And that's what the future is. That's a summation of where we have been dealing with. And I know it sounds like we just keep beating it, beating it, beating it to death. But I think for three chapters, there's a reason why Paul just keeps elaborating. And now he brings it all to a close here in this little section here today. Um, so it, it's made, I think, very clear. The Jews will obtain it through what has happened to you. God has a special relationship to the church. God is going to use the belief of the Gentiles to bring in the Jews. And not that we ourselves are going to be filled of so much mercy that we're going to give mercy to them. We cannot do that. It's God who's the one that shows mercy. He'll provoke them to jealousy. Look at Romans 9, which started out this whole section and uh, such a glorious passage in itself. Look at verse 14. After talking about uh, Jacob and Esau, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. They were both Jews, but one Jew was chosen, another one wasn't. And he's talking about election. We can't deny that, and that's what we saw in Romans 9, verse 14. Well, what shall we say then? Is there any unrighteousness with God? Can He do that? Can He choose some and not choose others? That would be unrighteous. And the answer is, may it never be. He is not unrighteous. He is a just God. For He says to Moses, I will have what mercy on whom I have mercy. Whoever I want to show mercy, I will do it. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. He does it on certain ones. And that he will elaborate on it. And then we see in verse 16, it doesn't depend on the one who wills. The free will of man, it doesn't depend on that. Or the one who runs, who does great efforts and works for the church and such. But it does depend on God And what's that word? Who has mercy. That's where it all begins. Mercy. He said to Pharaoh, this purpose I raised you up in order to demonstrate my power in you and in order that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. It's about His glory. Why does He show mercy? Because of His glory. That His name would be great. So, His object for both groups, as we look in our Romans 11 now, is to show mercy not only to the Jews, because the Jews are bragging, because they are Jews, you know, they are the right ones. The Gentile now has salvation, and they go around boasting and say, God's done with Israel. (laughs) Oh, my, come on, did you read Romans 11? Please. No, none of them have any right to boast about their faith or their own selves or what they did. It's all about God and what He has done. His object is to show mercy and to make it clear that salvation 
always is only the result of the mercy of God. Verse 32 is what I kind of started off with in the introduction. It's the ultimate explanation of all of this we've been talking about. It's one of the most remarkable things in all of Scripture. It's the very center of what God's great and eternal purpose is. It's to save people out of lost people whether they are Jew or whether they are Gentile, and bring them into the kingdom of God and make them glorious. And this is an explanation here. God has shut up all in disobedience. And we saw the Gentiles in disobedience in Romans 1, didn't we? And we see the Jews in disobedience and all throughout the Old Testament. And we'll just look at the prophets. They're all disobedient. Romans 3 says there's no not one that's righteous. He's just proven it again. The explanation of it is right here in verse 32. Why does He shut them up in their disobedience? He shuts up the Jews. After the Gentiles have been shut up, then Gentiles are then open to the Gospel. Then they're shut up. And then the Jews are then opened to the Gospel. Mercy. What a glory that it is. What an explanation that is. So he says, and it's interesting, God has shut up all in disobedience so that He may show mercy to all. And people that believe in a, a universalism, you know what that is? That means every person that's ever lived on this earth will all be saved eventually and we're all going to go to our heaven or whatever that is, they say. Uh, this God of the Christians, uh, there's no such thing as hell as, as He says. Uh, we are all going to have a nirvana or some kind of a heaven, or some kind of hereafter that's going to be bliss. And so uh, that is what a universalist would be. So when he says all, we could have a problem there. But that doesn't correlate with any other text throughout Scripture. Well, there are some. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It does say to those who believe, I'm not making fun of that verse, but people will say, well, see, He loves the world, so therefore uh, He's going to save the world. And uh, so uh, we know that that not be true. All you have to do is read on to the next verse and to the next verse after that and just keep on reading through John 3 and it's quite the opposite. Uh, he does not do it in that way. Uh, the Jews were shut up in unbelief. The Gentiles had been shut up in unbelief. They are both hopeless. They are both without any kind of hope and the conclusion is that salvation is the sole result of God's mercy. He's saying, I don't care what your works are. I don't care. It's only by what I do, God says. The Gentiles were hopeless. God showed mercy. The Jews are hopeless right now. In their unbelief, they are hopeless. They're helpless. God has deliberately emphasized right here the hopelessness and the helplessness of both groups. The Jews and the Gentile group. And they are all what? Shut up in unbelief. 
so that He can show mercy. So if you're a believer, you're one of those that was taken out of those that was shut up and you were freed out of that bondage. And now you are one of His, whether you be Gentile or Jews. And so there how is how Paul explains it when you are one. There is that body of Christ. God shut them up in complete helplessness. There is no way out. This is how God saves. Puts them all in the position that they can't do anything. That's all of mankind, isn't it? And then, so we look at what Jesus said about this. It's a radical statement. And you look in Matthew chapter 11. This is overwhelming. This is God's plan. Matthew 11, verse 25. This is Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll see that Jesus is speaking. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. He was pleased with this plan. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. There are certain people that Christ is going to reveal the very glory of God to. And then he says, this is an invitation. It's really a general call. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who are those? Those are the ones that recognize they need Christ. They are weak, heavy laden, weary. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle. God is a gentle God, isn't He? And humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So our message also is that as we bring it to people, because we don't know who's going to be saved. We don't know who the elect are. We just bring it out, and like Christ did, but yet there are people that have these truths hidden, and they will never see it. And they are held in that bondage that they are already responsible for. And you'll notice, this comes on the heel. Just what Jesus has said here, that, thank you, Lord Father, that you have hidden these truths from the wise and the intelligent. People that can figure these things out, People that are the elite of the world, I'm glad you have hidden it from them. Uh, If you look in verse 21, he's denouncing cities here. He says, Woe to you, Chores, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that occurred in Tyre and Sidon which occurred in you, they have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than you. Who's the you that is... Not the Gentile here. It's the Jew. He says, okay, you know that I judged, or God judged Chores and Bethsaida, they're Gentiles, and it was a, a terrible judgment. And he says, 
but it was more tolerable for them than it will be for you because they are held even more responsible because they had the very Word of God given to them. They had Jesus Christ walking amongst them, these Pharisees and such. And then he says in Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. He's saying, Capernaum, where's Jesus preaching at? He had been in that area. Sermon on the Mount. He preached there. He lived around there. He ministered around there. And he says, hey, I want to tell you, Sodom and Gomorrah, everybody knows about Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know that America is probably at that same level, or maybe worse. And everybody knows about Sodom and Gomorrah and what God do. He judged that. Now, a lot of people would like to reject that because that means that would come from the Bible and so therefore it can't be true. It's just a misnomer. But they don't. Just ask a regular person out there, not a Christian, not even churched or anything. Ask, have you ever heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, yeah. Something's supposed to be in the Bible. God made a judgment. Yeah. Well, um, thing is, is, he's saying no matter how bad that judgment was there, you're, it's going to be worse for you. The people that heard and saw Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Wow. And that's where He comes on at that time and says, I praise You, Lord of Heaven, that You've hidden these things from them. How do you understand that? But then the invitation is to all. There's a general one. Come to Christ. You need Him. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses. You need Him desperately. Repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the Gentiles were hopeless, but God showed mercy. The Jews are hopeless now, but God will show His mercy to them. God has deliberately emphasized this hopelessness and helplessness of both groups to glorify His name and show that everything is the result of His grace, His mercy, His compassion. God shut them up in complete helplessness that there is no way out. And somebody can say, well, then how can He believe? And on His own, He can't. He cannot. He shut them up in unbelief in order to show that nothing matters but His mercy. He's going to save the Jews in the future. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. And that means not just an elect number of Jews. They can't deny that. They, they talk about the elect ones, but this section in Romans 11 is talking about Israel, the nation, where all will become believers. And most of the Reformed theologians of our day would agree with that. I'm happy to say. They've got this text to deal with, don't they? Now, the attribute of mercy, it deals with goodness. Goodness and mercy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. Right? It's a general term and uh, 
goodness is something that flows from God, from His decrees, it's about His election, it's about His creation, it's about His providence as He sustains this world and the people in it, believers and unbelievers. A good God, He is. We know that. Little kids know about a good God. He's good. He's a good God. Grace is favor towards the undeserving. Mercy is shown to the pitiful. And A.W. Pink says, Mercy denotes the ready inclination of God to relieve the misery of fallen creatures. He's ready to do that. He's inclined to show mercy to these miserable creatures. There's some Old Testament passages that deals with mercy. The very essence of God is mercy. It's according to the text of look at Romans or Exodus 33. You have Moses. Moses is wanting to see God's glory. It's all about that time. Uh, of course, you think of Mount Sinai and that whole area. And uh, in Exodus 33:19 and 20. After in verse 18, Moses says, I pray you, show me your glory. Show me everything that you're about, God. I cannot wait to see it. All Christians cannot wait to see His glory in its ultimate sense. Moses wants that. Well, uh, verse 19, God says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. Look at this. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. You have goodness, you have graciousness, there you have compassion, you have mercy, really, is what this is. And it's the very essence of God and so that's what He is. It's who He is. Goodness, proclaiming the name of Yahweh in being gracious. And He is gracious. He is showing compassion, mercy to who He chose to do. He didn't show that kind of glory to Pharaoh because He didn't choose to do that. But He did to Moses. So, uh, we look at 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 14. David uh, took a census of the nation, and he was not to do that, but he did. There was uh, a lot of uh, boasting and temptation to sin. He failed there. Uh, David said to Gad, a prophet, I am in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of Yahweh for His compassions or mercy. Mercies are abundant. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. Don't let man judge me. I would rather have be judged by God because He's a God of mercy. And so he uh, was able to, to, you know, to do a choice there, what had, had come. 
and uh, as Gad had told him what choice that he could make, and David says that uh, his mercies are abundant. His compassion is abundant. Look at Psalm 51, verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness or mercy. According to that, be gracious to me, according to the abundance of of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. This is cleanse me, God. Uh, This is His confession of sin for what He had done. According to your mercy, be gracious to me. According to your mercy. According to the mercy, grace is given. David knew about his mercy. Look in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 and 7. Seek Yahweh while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to Yahweh and He will have compassion on him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. He will have compassion on Him. He will forgive. He is merciful. Compassion. Merciful. He has mercy to anyone who will seek it. And who are those who seek? Seek Yahweh while He may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. If, if somebody has that calling, say, but I'm not the elect. Well, how do you know? What He says is, Don't try to convince yourself elect. What you do is if you have a calling and God says, come to me you who are heavily burdened, that are weak, trembling. Call upon Him now. Hebrews says, today is the day of your salvation. So that's what we throw out in our gospel message. You don't have to worry about saying, if you're the elect, you can be saved. You don't have to use that terminology. All you have to do is say, come to Christ. Recognize your sin and call upon His mercy. And so, that's so key. Okay, we go to number three. Disobedience by all, mercy to all. We've kind of touched on that so far. Uh, You have mercy versus disobedience here in this section of Romans. And four times mercy and four times disobedience. And verse 30-32, that He may show mercy to all. Now, this is set up against the backdrop of dark black sin. Mercy is on stage for all the glory and back behind it is... Sin, unbelief, evil, wickedness. And it's mercy versus that. And so you've seen it. Verse 30 says, we're disobedient to God. You were given mercy because of their disobedience. 
So these also, the Israelites, they were disobedient that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, Jew and Gentile, as He sums it up, so that He may show mercy to all. Mercy is needed for people to be saved. We were outside. We didn't have the oracles. We didn't have the Word of God. We didn't have the temple. We didn't have the very revelation of God as you get lumped up with all the Gentiles. And we see how mercy works whenever we see sin. We are people that are in great need. And it's just like a diamond set up on a cloth that is black as can be and that diamond and that ring is just in all of its splendor and beauty and glory. The rock is shining. And that's what God does when He sets them up in disobedience. When you see that you need mercy, that mercy is a glory that is beautiful. It's shining. What glory it is. And that's what was understood by the the man who was a tax collector and he was at the same time at the temple along with a Pharisee. A very righteous man people would look at and see. And he was glad that he was not like this tax collector, although he's a Jew. He's the worst of kind. Surely God won't save that man. And I'm glad, God, you have just given me to be out as great as I am. And he's thanking God for that, that I'm not like that other man who actually is the righteous one. And we know we've gone over that story many times, and it really tells all. This is how one comes to Christ. Uh, I want to interject. In the Old Testament, you have a mercy seat. The mercy seat is where if you have the temple, you have all the way back in the Holy of Holies, this Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark of the Covenant is the law. It's the Ten Commandments. It's the tablets. They were broken. God sees the law broken whenever He and His uh, He is seen dwell, dwelling, I guess you can say symbolically, between the wings of the cherubim on that ark. This is a mercy seat here. And God sees that it's broken and He has to judge sin. That's because He is a righteous, just God who is holy. And if He doesn't do it, we are in jeopardy. He is in jeopardy. And we know on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, after there's been the sacrifice and the blood taken out of that innocent animal, is marched in by that one high priest and the blood is sprinkled at this place on the ark where God looks and sees the sin of man as He breaks the law. And that blood is sprinkled there in between those cherubim and the wings. And now the animal has been a substitute, an innocent substitute, and now we see that the animal dies for the nation. For the priest, the people, the nation. You see, they deserve to die, and yet that animal dies. The blood is sprinkled, and God no longer sees 
in the symbolic meaning that broken law because the blood has covered that. And so now, for the next year, Israel is saved. There's only one thing. The priest can never sit down. The work is not done because they still have to have sacrifices daily because people sin daily and they had to continually do that. That's why in Hebrews, Christ has offered Himself up once as a sacrifice. There's no need to sacrifice the body of Christ anymore. It's been done. It is finished. So, the blood of the innocent victim is there. He could now see them in a position that the blood has covered over those sins. And what it is, it's really about those ones, the ones really are, that are saved are the ones who come by faith and knowing that sacrifice is what is needed because of their sins. It took the blood. The prayer of the tax collector is profound. What does he say? Be merciful me, a sinner. You see, I, he understood the mercy seat because that's where he's at. He's at the temple. And he knows that that mercy seat is going to be the only thing because between you have God, you have a holy God, and you have a very sinful sinner. And in between is the mercy seat where the blood has been applied. And we know the mercy seat is Jesus Christ. At the cross, that's where it came. This one who is the tax collector realized he needed mercy. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And that man went out of there as righteous. Don't you love that? And so do we as we trust in the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, didn't happen too long after that that Christ died on the cross. Now, what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do this rather quickly. Uh, this actually could be a whole message, but one of my famous... Uh, I guess famous Puritan writers that is one of my favorite is Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson has quotes that just in one sentence with beautiful, flowery language with description galore says what takes me like a whole day to tell people what it is, it's beautiful words, but I will tell you that he did a book called The Body of Divinity. And in there he had 12 positions. I'm going to cover 12 positions like he never did. Uh, it's going to be really rapid fire and quick uh, because otherwise I would be uh, tempted to turn it into a whole message. But here is uh, mercy wrapped up in a little package. Just as we had in Scripture, now here's what Thomas Watson says about it with this great language that he has. Uh, first of all, that uh, position is the design of Scripture represents God as merciful. Have we already done that? We've looked at many passages. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. This is out of Exodus 34 now. We did Exodus 33. Remember that? 
Moses says what? Show me your glory. God says, I'm going to let my goodness pass by and that, that will show my mercy. Well, here we go. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. I am the Lord, I am the Lord, the merciful and gracious God. I am slow to anger and rich in unfailing love and faithfulness. I show this unfailing love to many thousands by forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. Even so, I do not leave sin unpunished. Even though He forgives the worst of sins, He will judge it though. He's still just. He's holy. He puts all that in there. But really, what He's doing here is that God's mercy is far above the heavens and it far surpasses any sin that any man can do. So that's one. It's the design of Scripture to represent the mercy of God. Number two, God is more inclined to mercy than He is wrath. And, of course, we have talked about God's wrath and Romans 9 it did, but mercy is His darling attribute. Oh, He plays favorites with mercy because He most delights in mercy. He delights to show mercy. And Micah 7.18 talks about that kind of mercy. It's uh, definitely something that is forever. I delight to show Mercy, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of His inheritance? You do not um, stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. He can't wait to show it. That's what He loves to do. He wants to rejoice. Number three, mercy is in every condition. No matter what condition you are in, what afflictions you're going through, there is a sunshine of mercy. I look outside and I see the sun shining here on January 1st. I'm saying, God, you are a merciful God. Because we know what your wrath is like just a week ago. You took us into the doldrums. I say that in reverence. Because he is in control of the weather. But it, you really appreciate it when you see the sun. And warmth. And you know what? I was sitting looking out the window this morning as I was looking at this text here. And it was real foggy. Did you guys see that fog this morning? And that's about all you saw. You didn't. It's hard to even see another car coming in the other lane. And then all of a sudden, boop! Oh, they got the lights on. I didn't even see that. Wow, that was heavy. But you know what? At the same time, as I was looking out that window, I saw um, a white background of a house, and it looked like light was shining on it, like a spotlight. And there was just a glimpse of sun coming out. So with all that affliction of fog and darkness, there's the sun shining in its brilliance just on a little spot, a little area. And I'm going, oh, hey, guess what? This would be a good place to plant that little illustration. <laughs> oh, yes. And in, in all that, there was a sunshine of mercy. Another one, mercy sweetens all God's other attributes. And so I ask you this. If you knew that God didn't have mercy... What would you think of His holiness? You'd be scared to death. You'd be so frightened that you would have no reason to have any hope. And what about His justice without mercy? Mm. It'd be dreadful, wouldn't it? And you know, just like in Israelites' history, they, had, uh, they were out in the desert. Whenever there was water uh, given to them, uh, in, it's like a, a stream. Uh, it was bitter. And they couldn't drink it. It was terribly bitter. And then Moses cast the tree 
into the waters and they were made sweet. How bitter and dreadful were all the other attributes of God, but God sweetens those up and makes them beautiful when He makes His justice become our friend. Justice is on our side now. One of the most orient pearls of God's crown. And Moses said, Show me your glory. And the Lord answered, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will show you mercy. God's mercy is His glory and His holiness makes Himself illumined and illustrious, but His mercy makes Him endearing. Oh, the love. Even the worst people taste of God's mercy. The Lord is good to all in a lot of senses. Sweet dewdrops, and this is Thomas Watson, sweet dewdrops are on the thistle as well as on the rose. The rose has stickers, but the dewdrops are on both. Wow. Thank you, Thomas. I like that. Even the worst people taste God's mercy. Uh, you know, Pharaoh was crowned. His head was crowned as being the leader of the world, but his heart was hardened. Mercy and salvation is the sweetest. It was mercy that God would give Israel rain, that would give them food, the oil, all the blessings that went with that, and then whenever they were um, invaded by the enemy, He would give them mercy. That's really good, but His greatest mercy is salvation, that they would know Him. A greater mercy is found in that. It's the sweetest. One act of mercy engages God to another. And men would say this, hey, I've shown you and I've done this all for you. Now, you do the rest of it right there. Don't trouble me anymore about that. But God saves us. He not only saves us and forgives us, but He adopts us. He could have just left us just forgiven. But no, He adopts us, and then later on He will glorify us, and we will be exactly like Jesus Christ. One act of mercy engages another act, and another, and another, and another, and another. All the mercy in the creature is derived from God. He is the Father of mercies. Another one, God's mercy makes the saint happy and humble. All my righteousness is the effect of God's mercy. Therefore, I will be humbled. You're humbled when you see that God gives you mercy. Mercy keeps back the speedy execution of justice. Sinners continually provoke God. They sin and they be evil and do all their wickedness and the fury comes up in His face. But, God is a God of mercy. Why doesn't God just immediately arrest them, condemn them, and send them to hell right there as soon as they do that? Why doesn't He do that? Well, He could, and He can do it, and sometimes He does. He's armed with omnipotence. He's all-powerful. But it's from His mercy that God gives a reprieve for the sinner. Aren't you thankful for that? For the sinner... He stops the speedy process of justice. And boy, He did that all throughout Israelites' history. God would, by His goodness, lead sinners to repentance. 
Another one, it's dreadful to have mercy as a witness against anyone. It's only mercy that saves a sinner. How sad it is, Watson says, to have mercy become an enemy. If mercy is an accuser, who shall be our advocate? The sinner never escapes hell when mercy draws up the indictment. Mercy is free. Mercy is eternal. Psalm 103.17 says, His mercy endures forever. Um, It's repeated 26 times. Psalm 136, His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. It's eternal. What about mercy? Well, you can go to, to Him in prayer at any time and know that you're going to the throne of grace. He will warm you. He will not burn you. Uh, Watson also said is that we are to take heed of abusing the mercy because we are given mercy, take advantage of that, and just sin all we want. Can't do that. Uh, we don't want to make God's mercy our enemy. And the last one is this. This is how we put this into our lives. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And He is merciful. And then what are we? to do. Be merciful to all other sinners. Be merciful as your Father of mercy shows yourself uh, to be a child of God and being like Him. Ambrose said this. I think this is rather helpful. The sum and definition of true religion is are you ready? Be rich in works of mercy. Be helpful to the bodies and souls of others. Be merciful in giving and forgiving. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Let's pray. Father, Holy God, merciful God that You are, help us to see Your mercy, to be humbled by that and knowing we had nothing to do with gaining our own salvation. We were born again and it started with before the foundations of the world, the great triune God, and then in time You came and showed us mercy. You gave us grace. And we know that we continue on in this tremendous love that is far beyond anything that a human mind can really understand. But You have given us a glimpse of Your glory here today. Understanding Your glorious mercy. And we thank You. Now Lord, as we are get ready to prepare our hearts to receive the communion, the Lord's Supper, and as we remember that this is something that is a reminder that the table of grace has been opened up. The mercy seat has been covered by your shed blood. That's the cross. And because of that, we can proclaim your death, the burial, and resurrection. And so in Jesus' name, we get ready for this. We pray, Amen. And what we'll do is, with that being said... We know that in Matthew and also Paul elaborated on it in Corinthians about the Lord's Supper and what its intention is.
and it's to focus again. It's a means to focus on Christ even more, just by something symbolic, like the Ark of the Covenant and the law that was in there was symbolic, and God was symbolic in looking down at that. Well, these things that we actually uh, feel, we touch, we bring it to our mouths and taste it, and then take it in. We take of Christ in a symbolic way, but it's more than just symbolism. It's something that happens in our life. It's nothing magical, but it is part of an ongoing uh, command that God has given us, and what a privilege it is. We had the means of grace preached today. We had the means of grace singing today. We had the means of grace through prayer. Uh, this is a means of grace and our fellowship that we have is they're all called means of grace that's what the reformers so much called that means of grace so we're receiving grace after grace after grace why do people come to church to get something new in their learning well i hope so but it's all about worshiping god why do we come here to get graced we need it we need to be reminded, did we need to be reminded of mercy today? If we're not here, we miss out on that. It's so important. That's why he's saying, do this in remembrance of me. When you, the church, get together, as often as you do this, you're going to be blessed by thinking about what I did, what Christ did, is what he is saying there. Remember me, he says. So we'll, we'll start on this side, Debbie and continue on and just come yeah do you want to go around this way or, or you could you could come up and get that and then the rest of you might have to try that procedure if you don't run into or you might just come this way and then come back out that way how would that be <laughs> 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 